listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 319, The Toilet Break. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. And I am now back, so that means you won't have your falling asleep, soothing Eddie voice as the intro. I went back and listened to it, guys, and I was half asleep at the gym when Eddie was, hello, and welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. <laughs> so it's good to be back. <laughs> I was just going for the, the NPR vibe. It was definitely NPR-ish, for sure. I actually got a few phone calls asking if they could uh, interview you for a, a job in NPR, Arizona. Oh, uh, yes. Yes? You want to move to yeah. Arizona and do NPR? That's what radio. A career I, don't move. To, I don't have to move there. <laughs> no, you've got to be in Arizona for your voice to do that. So, But yeah, you can't say joined as always now, Frank. I know. <laughs> well, he has Today missed two now. Joined. With mm. Sam and Eddie, so yeah, I am joined occasionally. <laughs> joined mean? most oftenly. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I was disappointed I couldn't do it because I had a good opening fact that I'm sure Eddie will hate and Sam might enjoy. But on the day we were supposed to record, 27 years ago, Bulgaria's Victor Crum made the controversial decision to catch the snitch in the Quidditch World Cup and end the World Cup final and have his team lose 170 to 160 to Ireland with the selfish move of catching the snitch and basically giving defeat for his team. I understood none of that. I, I understand from Quidditch that it's a Harry <laughs> Potter reference, but I genuinely had no... I thought, even after you said Victor Crumb, I thought you were still talking about a real thing. So I wanted to see how long I could get you. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you you judged me wrong there as well. That is not something I can I can attest to or remember. So thank you for reminding me. But yeah. But yeah. speaking of real anniversaries, Sunday was the anniversary, the twenty five year anniversary of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods's professional debut. Wow, that's it. I have to <laughs> I say, I thought that would. For some reason, I feel like he's been around longer. I mean that's 1996. <laughs> it's pretty. That feels about right. I think yeah. it's just the length of time. Like I saw, speaking of anniversaries as well, deadline day. It was 15 years ago that Tevez and Mascherano signed for West Ham. See that, that doesn't feels, that feels really that feels crazy. Because I remember yeah, being at university and yeah, I remember <laughs> being at university and that happening. So that's a really depressing fact. Yeah, and I just remember like all of their like, oh, we're not using West Ham as a vehicle to stay in Europe. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. Yeah, I mean the, the the Woods one was obviously interesting. They mentioned a lot during the BMW Championship, uh, and obviously it was it was they they kept cutting back to some clips of him from his debut. He didn't have a particularly spectacular one, apart from the fact that he hit a hole in one in his fourth round. But I think he finished 60th in the tournament, which is still not bad for your PGA debut as a teenager, whatever age he was at the time. But uh, I know you have some other intro facts, but I did just think it was interesting to see the... I watched almost all of the final round from the BMW Championship. The level of abuse. Oh, yeah. 
that Brooks uh, that uh, Bryson DeChambeau was getting, which nearly resulted in him having a fight with fans post round. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it too how, much? How did, do you think, or do you think he deserves it? I'm starting to feel sorry for him. I've come around on it, even though as annoying as he is, and I think he's not helping himself. He's refusing to speak to the press and stuff at the moment. But I've kind of come around where I think I genuinely it seems to be affecting him to the extent. And also I, why I feel sorry is a lot of times all they're heckling him with is by saying Brooksy a lot. Yeah. Hey, Brooksy. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and the fact that that is clearly really, really bothering him makes me feel if they were saying horrific things and he was being bothered by it. I know this sounds odd, but that wouldn't make me feel sympathetic because you'd be like, okay, it's awful that you heard it. But the fact that he's at a point where just saying someone else's name is affecting him means that it must really be getting to him. And it's not going to go away because the more he reacts, the more it stays, right? Or the more he doesn't react even now. It's probably even worse. I would say if you don't react, it will just go away because they realize it's having no effect. Whereas because he does this stuff, like almost has a fight, they just want to exacerbate it. So I don't know. Steve Steve Stricker, the Ryder Cup captain, asked Brooks Kapka to stop it in the build-up to the Ryder Cup. So Brooks Kepka has agreed to take a pause <laughs> until the Ryder Cup, but he has no control over the fans, obviously. Nor is he going to go to the extent of asking fans to stop doing it. What, so, do you think he'll go to the side and start egging them on? <laughs> Come on? No, but you know what? He hasn't. He has publicly said he has agreed to to put a halt to things until the Ryder Cup is over. But it's not as if he then also implored fans, well, spectators, to stop heckling him. So. I don't know. I felt, I felt sorry. For so him. here's, here's my question. Then you watched the match, and for those who didn't, it went into six playoffs, right? Six playoff holes or seven? Six, I think. Yeah, six, right? And I think he had a winning putt on four of the six playoff holes, and some of them were pretty makeable putts. Do you think this heckling is is? affecting that affecting him maybe because he is actually a good putter people afterwards were saying oh you know drive for show putt for dough this is ultimate proof of that statement being correct but brooks um Deschambeau is typically in the top 30 in in the putting statistics on the pga tour but he had a putt to win on the 17th fundamentally because it would have put him too clear going on to the 18th so it was basically a putt to win then he had a putt to win on the 18th then he had a putt to win on the first playoff hole, the second playoff hole, the third playoff hole, and I think the fourth playoff hole as well. And he should have won. And then won missed it. the putt to stay in it as well. Yeah, which, which wasn't that hard of a putt. It was an easier putt than Cantlay had made to win it. Um, I mean, you had to give a lot of credit to Patrick Cantlay because he made a series of pretty incredible putts to just stay in, in, in like stay in touching within touching distance. But... That in turn got him into the Ryder Cup, if I understand right. I think he got the last place because of the. Yeah, I, in that. I always feel like people make too much of a deal with that because the captains have their six selections they get to make. He obviously would have been chosen, but yeah, he'd knocked Tony Finau out of the final spot by winning. So I'm sure he Which cares Tony more. Which Tony Finau will most likely be selected anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of meaningless. I'm sure he cares more about winning and the the bigger check that he got on Sunday. So Bryson has a really good Ryder Cup. Is this all forgotten? This kind of like humor and this 
sledging with the crowd or like people or are the europeans going to do it i know it's in the us which is going to help but wait so are you saying are you asking do you think if he puts up like a winning performance for america do the americans forgive him for being an asshole yeah that's that's my question i think it's the only way people could come around if he has a an iconic i also felt bad for him because he made one really big putt on the on the final round and he tried to do i mean i don't know if this was planned but he did this little fist pump thing that was obviously if he had won that tournament it could have been the sort of the bryson celebration you know how the odd golfer gets the iconic moment of look at them celebrating this big putt and he would have had that but it's obviously meaningless because he finished second i think the only way he can swing public opinion is if he had an incredible if he was sort of turned into the sort of garcia or polter of the u.s team that's the only way he basically needs to be ian polter because i think most people would agree ian polter is kind of an asshole but an endearing asshole and i think that's basically the role that uh, deshambo needs to play or like what about colin montgomery but the thing is colin montgomery just americans hated him but it wasn't I don't really know what he did to, apart from just being kind of grumpy, but it's not like he had, he wasn't exactly flowing when it with personality, which I guess Bryson isn't either, but some people liked him. I guess the problem for Bryson right now is nobody likes him. I mean, someone has to like him. He, has, he still has sponsors, so he must still be generating. His sponsors. Sort of we went over what he, what sponsors. happened after the open when his own sponsors yeah. were ripping into him post calling an asshole. <laughs> he's <laughs> making no friends, <laughs> whether they have money or they're making themselves money. At least he he's no consistent. Friends. Yeah. I mean, you could tell, for example, he and Patrick Cantley clearly don't like each other, and because he also was critical of Cantley for walking as he was about to hit a stroke at one point. Part of what makes me feel sorry for him, too, is if everyone does dislike him, it must be a really lonely experience. Just kind of being in out a there. sport that's lonely to begin with. Right. Yeah. You know, like you're only you're only like is you have people around you that can kind of break it up a little unless yeah. it's four hours of complete silence. <laughs> exactly. Especially when things Even his are caddy going. doesn't like him. <laughs> yeah. Especially when things are going badly, because it's one thing if you're in the hunt. And then you just want the laser focus and you don't really want to talk to anyone else. That's probably fine. But when it's the third round and you're 15 shots off the lead and you've kind of realized, I'm going to go through the motions for two final rounds, but I have little to no chance of getting myself in this, then it has to be super lonely that the person playing with you would rather stare at a tree than have basic conversation with you. And I guess I know you'll have another intro topic, but that kind of naturally segues into the drama from the U.S. Open last night when Sitsipas and Andy Murray had their little falling out in the midst of their five-set epic, which was great to see because it was kind of Murray rolling back the years a little bit, and he has worked so hard to get to a stage where he can compete on a high level and after almost every tournament sort of suggests that it might be his last and that it might not be worth the pain he puts himself through to get there. But for those not aware, they were going into the fifth and deciding set. Sitsipas took a bathroom break, which he is entitled to do. However, his bathroom break took eight minutes, which Murray got very upset by during the bathroom break. And then even at the end of the match made comments 
as he was zipping up his bag. And then in his post-match comments in the press conference said, it's a joke. He has to know it's a joke. It's ridiculous. He stated how he thought Sitsipas was a great player and very good for the game, but just that that behavior was a joke. And then he also tweeted out afterwards that Sitsipas goes into the goes to the bathroom in eight minutes. Elon Musk went to space in half that time. Oh no! I think it was Bezos, wasn't it? I think oh, it Jeff was Bezos. Bezos. Yeah. It, yeah, it was one. Yeah, but there's not yeah. many of them, but it was one of them. So is there an actual time limit on a bathroom break or was Sissipash just having a really bad time? (laughs) I mean, I guess that's what puts you in a complicated situation. If he had a genuinely upset stomach, eight minutes is not a ridiculous amount of time because you got to walk there. And, you know, there's moments when you could imagine that happening. It just seems unlikely that that would strike you a couple of hours into a tennis match. You'd think you would know going into it, you had an upset stomach. Oh, all that so, running around, you know, the burrito he had before the game, it's going to do was, a number on you. <laughs> I was going to say to tease Ted Lasso, maybe he had a bad fish pie. <laughs> Is there ever a good True. fish pie? We can segue our way all through this podcast. It's going to be incredible. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you, it seems clear that he was simply, it's gamesmanship and just trying to break the momentum of the match and sort of freeze your opponent and break their rhythm. I, I don't think there's any strict rules on how long you can go to the bathroom for, whereas there are strict rules, kind of interesting because there are strict rules on medical timeouts, so very strict rules on how long you can be treated by a physio. But if I guess if you have a seriously upset stomach, they're not going to force you to back on court. <laughs> but, um, why did I wear all white? <laughs> yeah. No, why did this have to happen at Wimbledon? <laughs> and then not not allowing you back on court because you're no longer not, not enough white on your shorts anymore. <laughs> have you been rolling around in mud? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it's you a bit of a pudding? shame. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a shame for Murray. Um, I mean, it was a tough draw anyway. He, I think the disappointing thing for him, he kind of slipped in the second set when he could have gone two sets up. He also had two break points. He was 15-40 up at 4-all in the second set. So he had his opportunities to go two sets up, but disappointing for him. But yeah, a little bit of drama. And yeah, maybe Sitsipas had a fish pie. So I guess we can get into the next episode of Ted Lasso. So once again, spoiler alert ahead. If you have not watched the newest episode, fast forward about 10 minutes or so, right? We were not that disgruntled about the episode. I think 10 minutes should do. Although I heard our issue with the last recording that we didn't speak about the previous episode. But um, yeah, I don't think we need to speak too much about that one. I think we can jump into this one. So I guess initial thoughts, is it still trending upward or was this a snag? It's, I would say, trending slightly upwards still. I thought this was a progression, but it didn't make some tremendous leap forward. And there were big red flags for me that might make me concerned for the remain One big red flag that might make me concerned, which we have to give credit to Sam on that one. We had the debate as to who she was texting on the banter app. Yeah. And Sam, Sam said it was Sam. Sam. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's a 
I didn't, the reveal to me didn't seem as kind of exciting as it was because obviously they were building up for it and then it just randomly happens. I was like, oh, oh, there it is. Okay. Um, Does he know? Here's the question. Do you think he knows who it is? No, surely not. Because he seems so you think like both of them are in the dark. No. Yeah. I you think, think both, both of them are in the dark. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Sam, terrible. <laughs> but, but uh now speaking of the fish pie incident, so obviously when Ted Lasso has to make this long, awkward walk off the pitch in towards the end of the match. One negative for this series overall, I think Chris Powell, who's one of the former footballer, who's one of the commentators, who delivers the fish pie line, I think. His enthusiasm over the course, I mean, it looks as if they've just said, Chris, we'll give you 20,000 pounds if you turn up and read these lines. And he's gone, oh, this looks like it will be a tough match for AFC Richmond. Haven't won in a while. What do you think, Arlo? <laughs> it's basically like Siri <laughs> doing it. It's it's completely heartless. It's so weird. But also the cameo with Ian Wright as well. Was oh, like, that was bad. Oh, I hate to say it, but Tottenham are a really, 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 really top side. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really bad. It also, they horrible. spoke about that. I get it too. And again, I'll enjoy the show, so I don't want to be un, unduly critical. But um, they spoke about it as if the concept of a championship side beating a Premier League club in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup is a giant killing of a proportion we've never seen before. And it will literally happen every year. Reverberate through English football. It's like, yeah. it's a relegated premiership team against a premiership team. It's fielding their full different. strength side, as far as yes. we could tell. Right. Who also happen to have this former starlet having signed for them under peculiar circumstances. So yeah. yeah. I'm okay with I'm okay with some of that setup because I have obviously I understand that maybe a lot of Americans have no idea what's going on so that you have to kind of spoon feed some of that to people you know to to move it along because otherwise it'd be too yeah, hard to explain I get it but I and they did that but, they but, did that right when he said that he did the March Madness bit that was his way yeah, of kind because, of explaining which but here's what bothers me about that especially that line too is. They do that, but then they also don't go the extra way on the other side, which would be nice because this is the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. So surely they've already played two or three matches. So when he had said that, it would have been nicer if Coach Beard was like, yeah, Coach, we get it. You said it the first three times we played or something like that, you know, to kind of just acknowledge the fact that, hey, we understand how how the FA Cup and the Premier League works, but we have to appease the people who don't. And also with like playing Spurs, now that this is a big enough show, it would have been nice if they had one or two cameos of real players. Because I'm sure there are enough players. <laughs> I'm sure there are players who watch the show. Just Harry and Kane like just a, and 10 random people. Harry Kane was on Harry Kane. Harry Kane was, like, was supposed to do it, but then he went on strike. He was sitting in the stands. Yeah. But that would be cool if they went the extra distance and popped in like one or two real players. Or maybe they pop in like an old player that like an English person would get and be like, oh, that's that's kind of cheeky. But an American would just kind of go like right over their Gary head. Lineker. Yeah, Ian Walker <laughs> in goal or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I do get what you're saying. At the same time, I think that might pull me out of it a bit. I do th occasionally one in issue they do have is some of the footballers don't really look like footballers sometimes, I will say. They're maybe not in 
like the, the old bald white guy that he that Jamie Tart shames. They may be not in the shape of a Premier League footballer would typically be, particularly especially like a midfielder, a especially a team um, like Spurs. Yeah, I I understand why the cameo is a tough thing to do. Now here's an interesting thing. So the the actor who plays Coach Beard, he posted um, unedited footage of the free kick that Jamie Tart takes, and. There's no CGI involved in that. He actually took. He actually takes that free kick in the in the show. Now I don't know how many attempts it took him. Not to get overly uh, critical of the rep- replication of football. A, they had some inconsistencies in that scene. If you watch the scene back, there is a three man wall, then a five man wall, then a three man wall. So they've obviously taken now we're getting shots. nitpicky. Now we're getting. I like. Yeah, <laughs> now I just like. Nitpicky. I like the idea of like Jamie Tart about to run up and take it, and then it just cuts to Cristiano no, no, Ronaldo morphed. taking a free kick. No, no. So, <laughs> but, but if you see what I mean, he starts to he does his drag back of the feet. I thought that was a nice little touch. But then he they set it up. There's a three man wall with just Spurs players. Then he kind of eyes it up, and then there's a five man wall with Richmond players also involved. Then as he hits it, it's back to a three man wall. So those players have just teleported away. I only noticed this because I was intrigued by the, the sheer concept of a team setting a wall for someone taking a free kick 45 yards out. Yeah. I mean, it's a real compliment to their what they think, how good they think Jamie Tart is. But then contrasting setting a three-man wall, but the keeper basically being stood on the penalty spot, so clearly stood as if he wasn't going to shoot, but you've also set the wall. The positioning ground me down. Yeah. This episode really bugged me i don't know why but it came to a head this one of all of the footballing problems in it so like you say look we're not here to kind of be overly critical or or read into it too much but the park the bus thing for me was the, oh, just the, shouting park the bus and all the players shout no park the bus. logic now, <laughs> now real quick i, I want to ask beforehand is that an actual term yeah, it, it is. Yes, it okay. is a well-known footballing term where basically you just plonk everyone in front of the goal, and it's just like wave defense. Essentially, they're just going to. It's literally the idea of parking the bus in front of the goal to block it. Is the okay sort of the what they're going for now? But you wouldn't have players as their tactical instructions. Sure. Just the captain, team captain, shouting, "Park the bus! Park the bus!" <laughs> I, but I, that's what I didn't get, right? They said park the bus, so they parked the bus. And But FA Cups have replays. If it was a they, draw, it would have been a replay. Well, <laughs> so, though they did touch on that a little bit. So Chris Powell, as the commentator did, by saying that obviously, which is true, as the lower division side, the underdog, and you're playing at home, you're going to have less of a chance in the replay away from home. So that there is a certain logic, but... Yeah, the idea that it was a tactical masterclass for him to just tell his team to sit really deep and then they somehow hit them on the break. And his reason for it was, well, they were going to attack, basically, is what happened. And again, it is what I think this sh- it's just the show occasionally fl- flips between being sort of trying to be a realistic representation of football and then just completely out of the world the next moment. I mean, you even had it. Another moment that kind of took me away from it. The owner goes into the changing room looking for Ted Lasso, finds the thing. She hears the commentary of Jamie Tart scoring the winner. And within seven seconds, the team is kicking through the door. 
<laughs> Such disrespect to Spurs. Don't even, not even acknowledging or shaking hands. Just going didn't right even, for just the celebration. Absolutely bombing also, it. Didn't the... even wait. Didn't even wait for the full time whistle. They've scored. They've gone, <laughs> they've, they've gone three Spurs two. Spurs actually off. won the game. Spurs won the game because they just ran off the pitch. Yeah, their celebration is just straight down the tunnel, kicking through the door, popping the beers open. I like that idea as well. Like they've all just played like a ninety-minute match, and they <laughs> go straight into the changing room and start cracking open alcohol. That probably <laughs> like, happens more than I'm we'd like sure, to think it does. But it was but... quite funny. But I, Nate's Nate's rationale behind the park the bus was brilliant. Like I know they needed a goal as well, so we just waited for them to slip up. It's no, like they needed minutes. a goal, Sam. They needed a goal more. That was the rationale. <laughs> Why would you park the bus? But I mean, it, there probably is some truth to that, though, too, right? Because as a higher club, you probably don't want the rematch because you don't want to have that extra match, right? Sure. So you're probably going to push really hard to score and yeah. just end it. Yeah, no, it's fine. Look, I don't, again, it's not there to be some, you know, mockumentary on the world of football, but yeah. they could just spend a little bit more time sometimes on maybe the. Just all you needed was a slightly different instruction. If he had just said five at the back, five, like just shifted the formation, and then afterwards the explanation had been like, oh, I thought that our wing backs would then have a chance to get forward. And that would have been, uh, okay, fine. That's yeah. that's all I needed. It would have taken such a basic, and Americans listening will probably think this is being really pedantic, but it would be like saying, it would be the equivalent of watching an NFL movie or and it was the final possession and and then like the coach just yelling out prevent prevent and then and then them throwing a hail mary the guy the sort of like a, a defensive back catching it returning it for a 90 yard interception and he'd be like well, i knew they were going to go for it so i just thought sit everyone deep and we were going to pick it off and yeah. score obvious now i want i want to address one more thing that i know has to bug eddie before I get into some of the positives. Actually, I I did really enjoy the episode. Eddie, how do you feel about Nate's ability to step up and be assertive involves him just hawking a loogie and spitting in the first episode right on a mirror and walking out, and then in this one right in front of three people's shoes and just stepping up? That has to bug you. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of spitting, so yeah, it's it's not great. Also, just love the way the clubs run. Just anyone can make substitutions. The chaos. Just, it was just just, chaos. If the physio was feeling pretty enthusiastic, he'd stop, oh, sub him on, sub him on. But um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love that. But it's just a weird. Yeah, yeah. the it's, wind. It's not the, setting a good example. Spitting in the mirror was a lot worse, though. That was that, that was, was really that bad. Was so <laughs> we didn't address it the last episode, the last time we talked about it. But I, as soon as I watched it, the first thing I thought was, "Ooh, Eddie's not gonna like that." <laughs> yeah, I'm on record. I only I'm okay with people spitting in very specific scenarios. One thing I find interesting because we haven't spoken about Ted, and obviously there was uh, quite a bit with Ted in this episode, but. I've got a feeling that Nate and Roy are going to turn into the management team. And I don't know what's going to happen to Ted or Coach Beard. But do you not get the feeling with Ted that maybe because he doesn't know football, it's starting to actually be a thing in the program? 
I don't know. I do think if they want the show to continue long term, part of it will just be this the fact that for the Americans who are then flying over to live in the UK during the filming, it's more of a hassle than if you just have more of a British cast who are based here anyway. So there's probably that element that if you really want to have this be a 10, 10 season long show, it's more practical to reduce the involvement of the Americans. Um, I don't think it's holding it back. It was interesting. I saw an interview with the, with Roy Kent, the actor who plays him, who's also a writer on the show. Originally was hired just as a writer and then was cast to play the role of Roy Kent afterwards. He said they knew all along that Roy Kent was going to come back to AFC Richmond as a coach. And when they were writing the season, it, they, in their minds, they, they were trying to push that as far back into the season as possible. So the very criticism we kind of leveled at them that it should have been done more quickly, they intentionally wanted to delay it for as long as possible. But I think there's a yeah, future can... where Ted Lasso goes back. to, the, And then there's the, I see what the storyline is that he misses his family and he leaves. But naming the show Ted Lasso makes it hard. Yeah. And, and, and you can see now when you look back, and we, I think we were correcting that too, that they were doing a lot of setup in those earlier episodes to have everything kind of come together. Because now you have Ted kind of having his major anxiety attacks and meltdowns and finally going to see the therapist. And then you have um, Roy Kent coming back to coach. Like it's all like all that setup is coming together. But I still think they could have done that quicker a little bit and just had more of this. Because now this is why I think the show is getting much better is because it's what we talked about the last time is now you have Roy Kent and Ted Lasso together. So you don't have to split their time up and you're getting the best of both of them. Like they're playing well, they play really well off each other. Like I, I love the one joke where Ted says to him, you know, like, Hey, we're paying you to coach the whole team here. And he's like, well, I'll just take 4% off my paycheck. Then, <laughs> Like that's like, so, so good between like the back and forth between them. I would just wish that happened sooner. Yeah. No, no, in total agreement. You have the stars of the show and you kind of reduce their role in the first half of the season. And what worries me is obviously the romance storyline involving Sam and the owner, which is obviously going to play a larger part in the season going forward, which brings him as a character back into the show more. And I've yet to really enjoy any of his major involvement. Seems like a really nice character, kind of there for the sort of represent the the ethical sort of moral compass of the show at times, but it doesn't need to be a major storyline. And that's my big fear now. Yeah. He's good where he is, you know, with the occasional story, occasional jumps in and says something, you know, it can be funny or play off of it. But I agree. I don't think you need another major character. He's good at just appearing every once in a while to tell Ted Lasso how much his dad respects him. That's basically all <laughs> That's he the needs to driver. be there for. Yeah. Is yeah. just to say how proud he is that he plays for someone he respects and then move on. I I didn't need the owner's mother thing. I I didn't get that. That was just it felt like filler in the episode. It was like, "Oh, we've only got 20 minutes of content here. What do we do?" And they just brought in Someone that looks younger than her as well. Didn't look that much older, I will say. No. Yeah. Didn't look that much older. 
how many family members do we need to see of the owner before it's enough? Well, that's the thing, right? Because they're trying to do, and you can see the pressure, and I think it's then played out in, they won quite a lot of awards at the Emmys last night or the Sunday night, which I don't watch the Emmys and I don't care about the Emmys. I find it weird that they're winning awards for best streaming comedy and sort of best supporting actor in a streaming comedy. It seems so niche at that moment in time that I don't know what award you're really winning. But, I mean, Apple may as well just come out with their own awards and just give all of them to Ted Lasso. But, <laughs> the yeah, I didn't... She didn't do anything to... Again, it's it's that thing afterwards where how did she push the plot along? And basically the only way she contributed was to give us a tiny bit more background into the owner, whose name I can't remember, and also to contrast Higgins wanting to give advice and her not wanting to, and basically using the mother's experience as the example of why you shouldn't and then Higgins giving advice in front of her and inspiring her. And then the mother disappearing, so she didn't get to give the advice she was clearly going to give. And and then deciding and to... Scene. And have sex. <laughs> Basically, that was... What's with the Higgins vomiting thing? I really got I confused at that. I, that's, <laughs> that. That's a joke that just didn't hit. They should just end that. So stop I, it. It's not funny. No. It's the kind of thing you'd see in like a children's TV show. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't get noise. if it was referencing something that I didn't know. You know, it was one of no, those. It, like, in one scene, she says it's back, like your your thing is back or something like yeah. that. So maybe it happened in season one, and I just can't remember it. Or maybe what's happened is they've filmed something involving that ages ago that got cut, and then now they've, you know, like in the editing, the ref, original reference to it is gone. Who knows? But yeah, it didn't didn't need to be there either. I mean, all of this is now pointing to the. This club is pretty chaotically run anyway, and now you're looking at a player dating the owner. You've got <laughs> the communications director. They've apparently only got three offices in, in this place as well. Like you're going to have yeah. Ted Lasso, who doesn't know anything about football, managing a club. Like, and can just... I? Also, what frustrates me is he had the storyline over Dubai Jet or whatever that company was called. That was a major plotline. You thought it was going to drag on for a while. Then they just reappear again with Panther as a shirt sponsor. Resolved. There's no, this is what all, the, they're introducing these elements and then abandoning them as quickly as they've appeared. And so you suddenly go, oh, okay, is this going to be a two or three episode story arc? No, no, no. It was 15 minutes that you didn't really need to watch. And the show mm -hmm. didn't need it. They could have just had more of the characters interacting with each other and maybe showing us a little bit more of the football because we're suddenly in, I mean, FA Cup quarterfinals is what, in April? Late a little March. bit earlier, but it has jumped. And also that's the problem, right? Because they're on about this four-game winning streak that they're on. But what, what about the previous, like, 15? We've jumped from Christmas. <laughs> and we <laughs> don't know where they are in the table. Right? We don't know where they are. <laughs> Which, actually, I would love it if they ended up just finishing 16th, if that was just, okay, good season, everyone. <laughs> And Ted, you're fired. <laughs> so do they get promoted or do they win the FA Cup or both? Oh, 
Yeah, that's an interest. I think they lose the FA Cup final. I think they get promoted. Although the FA Cup plot is making me lean towards that they don't need to do the playoffs. That the FA Cup Whoa. becomes the bigger storyline and the then fairy tale run, that kind of thing. Or they win the FA Cup, it's Jamie Tart against Manchester City, right, in the final. And that's the story. That could that could work. And he scores the winner against and then season three, his ego comes back. He wants to leave. He's no longer happy being there. He's sort of seen, you know, he's back in the spotlight having scored a hat trick in the FA Cup final or something. And all he scored a brace in the quarters. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Including what would be one of the most outrageous FA Cup goals in history. Especially so, if you, again, especially if they caught him on, if they did lip reading and saw him telling the other player exactly what he was going to do, he's going unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, we are ripping on this, but I did think this was actually a really funny episode, and I do still think it's trending upward now that you have everyone kind of together. Two of the things that I thought were really funny was I enjoyed when they were watching the the Bake Off. <laughs> And then they're yelling like to temper no. your chocolate. I see, thought I that was that. funny. I, I hate that. I like that because so I like much. that show, and and like I could see people saying that. So I thought that was kind of funny. I like that reference, and I I like the joke that Roy Kent says when they talk about building bridges. He's like, "You can fucking build jet bridges." Like I don't even get what that joke like, is, but no. I thought it was really it's, funny. It's a funny joke, but but also just to add to that, those those guys in the bar. One of them comes in with the AFC Richmond top and he goes, where'd you get that from? Like it was well, a surprise. <laughs> I think the reference is the, with the updated shirt sponsor. That's the only okay. thing I could get at because he had a shirt with banter on it. So I'm guessing oh. it's the, it was to drill home to us that the shirt sponsor had, that was how they were wrapping up that story arc. Hey, uh, oh look, just make sure you notice there's banter on the shirt now. Which oh. the only way I'd like this banter thing is if there was a real thing. This would be incredible if Apple had simultaneously launched a dating app called Banter, and this is how they Let's do it. <laughs> oh, oh, this is Apple, Frank. I'm pretty sure we're going to get I think we sued. get sued out of the water. <laughs> no, we just do Banter with an E-R at the end. Oh, the way it's supposed <laughs> as, to be. As, as in the actual yeah. word. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay, though. This podcast only has a liability of a quid. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. They, can't, they can't clean us out. Well, they can. It would just be and depressing. They will. It would they be will. depressingly depressing to watch them clean us out. Hey, it might be a plot point in Ted Lasso, just watching them aggressively go after a small podcasting team. Yeah, we They're could be in the and take we my could, microphone. We could come and replace uh, Chris Powell and Arlo White or whatever his name is. I said fruity language again. Well, they said fruity sign language this time. They did. You got you to gotta leave that one, Sam. It's not as offensive as you want it to be. <laughs> so I guess I had two questions. We can shift now to the real Premier League. And I had two questions for you for stats that uh, came up over the weekend. So Greenwood scored again for United. I think that's what, three straight Premier League goals for him, right? Three matches in a row where he scored, yeah. yeah. He now has 20 goals in the Premier League, which is second all-time as a teenager. Do you know who is first, and do you want to take a guess at how many he had as a teenager? 
I would guess Michael Owen was first. Michael Owen is first. I thought you would know that. Can you guess how many he had as a teenager? Oh, it'd be a lot, I think. Because he was leading the line as an 18-year-old. I mean, he went to the, he was 18 at the 98 World Cup, right? So It's where he scored he had, against Argentina, wasn't it? As, yeah, so I, as a teenager. So Gre- 30, again, Greenwood has 20. 35. I, w- I was going to say like early 40s, like 41 maybe. I, it was a lot. Michael Owen had 40 goals as a teenager in the yeah. Premier League. And then 40 goals after that. <laughs> <laughs> How many did Rooney have as a teenager? Seemingly not that many. That didn't come with that part of that stat. He can't be <laughs> far off. It can't be, be far in the off te- Greenwood. I'd say he's in the teens, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be below because Greenwood's now second. Okay, and then the other question I had, let me find the, there we go. Okay, Premier League all-time top scorers. How many in the top 20 are currently playing in the league? Okay, so the top one isn't. It's Alan Shearer with 260. Um, Harry Kane is. He'd be in the top. Who else is Ronaldo on? probably is. Probably, probably Ronaldo's in the top twenty, and no, it's not one of those things no. where he's like, I'll, no, I'm not not tricking you. It's not from Ronaldo. <laughs> so Harry Kane is in the top twenty. Harry Kane is. He is currently number seven at one sixty six. One of them just left. It would have been Aguero. Obviously, he's not still playing Aguero in the Premier left, League, yeah. but Aguero... Aguero was number just... four at 184. And then who he else have you gotten count. towards? I mean, okay, let's check off. So we've got two, three of the top 20. Included in there would be Andy Cole, Frank Lampard. Andy Cole's third. Lampard's Henry. fifth. Henri would Steve, be Henri's sixth. Thierry Henry. Steven Gerrard. Yeah, so I'm going to find where he is. 18th. Who's still Who playing at the moment? It could be okay. So Frank, there's more. There's more. Okay, so it didn't. Just Can you work. tell us how many there are? Yes. All right. I'll, I'll break that one. There are currently three players, including in Harry the Kane. league, that are in the top twenty. Including Harry Kane is one of the three. I will give you another hint. You're missing number nineteen and number twenty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <Christ>. yeah. <laughs> um, who's who's still playing? Vardy. Would be a Jamie Vardy, Vardy is number 19 at 119 goals. I Who am stumped kind of, now. <laughs> kind of old and up front. <laughs> Who is? Who is? Could be. Now, do you want the hint? Yeah. Is. It can't be. He is Lukaku. the reason. He is the reason this stat it's has Lukaku. come. It's Lukaku. Yes. Yeah. That's, With that's his goal, fairly impressive. he became the 20th at 114 goals. Which I find pretty crazy that there's only three current players in the top 20. And only one that's kind of up there. Although I guess Aguero is, is kind of a, a throw-off because if we had done this yeah. last year, there's four and two in their top 10. And you've had a few retire over the last, in recent, I mean, it's not that long since Lampard retired. It's not that long since Steven Gerrard retired. The, the crazy one in some respects is Shearer because he did retire quite a long time ago now. And the fact that his record is, 
and he didn't even he was pretty close to being perfectly set up for the Premier League era, but he did score goals pre-Premier League era as well. So he did lose some goals. So it is sort of crazy that his number is so far ahead. I mean, I think Kane will break it if he hangs. So Kane is 94 away. Yeah. Which is three, five prolific seasons. Exactly. I think the thing is as well, that the style of, football has changed with the Premier League as well. Like you rely on a lot more people to score goals now. Whereas in the early 2000s, late 90s, it was all about that kind of out and out striker, like Les Ferdinand, Teddy Sheringham, people like that, Alan Shearer, Andy Cole. It was all about that one person up front that 30 plus would go through. And it just doesn't happen like that now. Some of the best teams, their top goal scorers are like 15 or something like that. But I had a little stat from this weekend in the Premier League, just as we have our Sam barometer on where how he's feeling about Arsenal after their rather insipid display against City on Saturday at Saturday lunchtime. Wow, that's a five dollar word. <laughs> First time in history, Spurs are top of the league, Arsenal are bottom of the league. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Minus nine goal difference. Uh, Did have our mutual friend Babs too sent me a video on WhatsApp, which was uh, Arsenal's goal of the month competition. <laughs> it was just a black screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Mm, next topic. <laughs> They're the only team that hasn't scored, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's none of that. That's sad. Yeah, there's not a lot going for them right now. No, the uh, look when the season started, we looked at those and I was like, okay, four points, you know, five might be okay because we had Spurs, uh, we had City and Chelsea, but the limpless displays in those games has been the biggest problem. Oh, actually, I don't think Wolves have scored, but they did actually look okay against United and should have scored. So. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, Wolves haven't scored. The difference is Wolves have only conceded three goals in three matches. So they've lost one nil three times, whereas Arsenal have conceded nine. It's getting progressively worse. (laughs) Like, Brentford, I mean, at least, look look on the bright side. Wolves have probably wasted some semi decent performances and managed to lose in the sort of least or most efficient way possible if you're looking at it. Arsenal are just getting blown out of the water and maybe trying to get that out of their system early. In the same way that City can be frustrated, right? They've played three, one, two, lost one. They've scored ten goals and conceded one goal, and that was in their one nil defeat on the the opening weekend. So also highly inefficient from that perspective. But I mean Arsenal did put six past a second string West Brom team. So, you know, there's there's real signs for encouragement here uh, for the rest of the season. Which if that had been the episode of Ted Lasso would have been huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are also getting very very close to the start of the NFL season. So I have a few, I know we are going to do our preview episode coming up soon, but as a little introduction, I had a few little tidbits that I thought we could kind of discuss and go through. The first one is, even though he's gone, 
he's still here, and that is Philip Rivers was in the news recently because he is now coaching high school, and his first game, his team won 49 to nothing. My question to you, would you want Philip Rivers as your coach? Saw a video of Trent Dilfer, who's also a high school coach, being very physical and aggressive with one of his players on the sidelines and people being critical of the fact that he was pushing and sort of grabbing a player by a shirt. I guess it's that level of intensity that you can kind of justify as an ex-NFL player, a very successful one, and saying this is how you win and this is how I get you to be a better player, that if you were just a nobody, you'd get fired instantly. I mean, Trent Dilfer might still get fired. I think I would want it for the story because it would be cool for the rest of your life to say that Philip Rivers was your high school football coach. I don't know if in the moment it would necessarily be that great. I will say, Frank, when you started saying he's gone but he's still here, I guess also speaking of Philip Rivers, I thought you were going to try and convert us. I thought we were going to have a boring and Christian moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few things I could have went. I also could have went Fitz Magic on you because Fitz Magic has been named the starter for the Washington football team. So we have another season of Fitz Magic in the air. A quirky guy on a team with a quirky name. I mean, the opportunities are going to be endless for the red zone and everyone else to make great references now. Yeah. And speaking of quarterbacks, obviously Cam getting um, released today and it looks like Mac Jones. Well, Mac Jones will be the starter. So. I mean, they'd already basically, Mac Jones had kind of, it looked like he'd already won the job. I am surprised that they released Cam Newton, but then it boils down to perhaps his refusal to get vaccinated. And it also has major implications then for him as a free agent. How can you bring him in when he really puts you at risk? And when we do our NFL season preview, I mean, it's worth talking about, right? Again, I'll do my little Niners plug. But being in a situation like the Niners seemingly are in, where they have two quarterbacks that they are happy with, the ability of one of them to be out because of a contact case or because of actually getting the virus and still play another quarterback who you're comfortable with puts you in a, in a really strong position versus that's why I'm a little bit surprised that the Patriots got rid of him because with the extra game and the risk that you just get a contact case and you're gone, you would have thought you would want to you definitely want one experienced quarterback, but two quarterbacks you're happy with on your roster and not now be scraping the barrel for who your backup's going to be. Because Belichick didn't actually deny, because they didn't he do some sort of misunderstanding of the COVID protocols? So he had to actually be like isolating for five days or something. And he didn't confirm yeah. whether it was the reason, but it does sound like there's a lot of COVID stuff around Cam um, that maybe, like you say, it is just. It's bad news, right? Because the rule is if he brings COVID into that club as an unvaccinated person, you, you're screwed. Like, yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say I'm tired. I never want to hear footballers in the future now. Whilst I 100% agree with people that under most circumstances, what they put in their bodies and the drugs they take is very much their own choice. And whatever course of treatment they choose, again, is up to them. However, we hear ex-players and current players constantly drill into us how committed these players are, how much they sacrifice, what they give up, how they'll do anything just to be healthy on the field on a Sunday, that they'd you know walk over hot coals and across a bed of nails just so that they could maybe get an extra inch for their team. 
to then not have the competitive advantage of just getting vaccinated. And not a single one of these players could probably convince me that there has not been a moment in their career where a doctor or a physio has either given them a pill or injected them with something without them being fully aware of what it is. Seems so hypocritical to me that I kind of can't stand it. But Eddie, it's a choice. That's what you're missing. Sure. Yeah, but you deal with the consequences of that choice, right? And if it is him getting released, then he has to deal with it. I, I actually agree with Eddie. I, th- I think you're not committed to the sport if you make a choice that you know makes it detrimental to play that sport. Or at least the commitment is more questioned in that respect. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just saying if if I had a chance to play in the NFL tomorrow on a pretty good team and make millions of dollars and they told me hey the one you don't have to do this but your chances of playing are a lot stronger if you just injected yourself with heroin tonight i'm injecting myself with heroin i I love how you said on a pretty good team like if someone like the jets came to you you'd be like "Mm." oh no i'd still do it for the money (laughs) you're basically asking me will you inject yourself for x million dollars and it's 100 percent yes now cam newton's got a lot of money already so the calculation is slightly different for him but it's just mind-blowing to me as a competitive advantage particularly now that he's this will be the interesting test right because he becomes a whole lot less attractive as a free agent as an unvaccinated person it's going to be interesting now if he quietly goes and gets vaccinated knowing that it makes it more likely someone brings him into the camp yeah i think early indications are that the dolphins are interested as a backup to tua or to maybe push tua uh, to get the starting spot. But yeah, you had, so Mac Jones is QB one for the Patriots. And then you also have Andy Dalton was announced to be QB one over fields. And that was a pretty debated, um, starting quarterback position. Jamias Winston was announced QB one of the saints. We just, cause we always have new listeners. We have to address the fact that, you know, it's Jameis. <laughs> But all of the all of this QB one talk brings me to the first of two lists that I have for us to just briefly talk about a little. I love lists and I love debating the nothingness of lists. So Bleacher Report put together their starting QB rankings going into this season. Now I'll give you the top ten. And you tell me where you agree or disagree. Number one, take a quick guess. Mahomes. Yes. Patrick Mahomes, number one. Number two, Tom Brady. Number yeah, three, has to be. Aaron Rodgers. Number four, Russell Wilson. Number five, Josh Allen. Number six, Lamar Jackson. Number seven, Matt Ryan. Number eight, Dak Prescott. Number nine, Ryan Tannehill, and number 10, Kyler Murray over Herbert and Stafford and Carr, which were 11, 12, and 13. Where's Jimmy G? So <laughs> I didn't hear Jimmy Jesus' name and I never got it. 26. Only ahead of Sam Darnold, Tua, Teddy Bridgewater, Zach Wilson, Jalen Hurts, and Tyrod Taylor. From uh, the top 10, I agree with probably most of it. I think I disagree with maybe 8, 9, 10. So I think Tannehill should be, not that he cares, but he should probably be a little bit upset that he's not above 
who was eight? Dak. And seven was Matt Ryan. Ryan. I think Tannehill would be upset not to be above Matt Ryan based on what he's done over the last couple seasons compared with what Matt Ryan's done. And then even Dak coming off a serious injury, I think you had to put Tannehill ahead of him until Dak Prescott proves that he is back to what he was before. How do they now one, how do they do the ranking? Is it just on the individual or is it like the team around them which can improve their chances? Like just I'm I'm curious because I've, I've I've never really seen it before. So. This is just a ranking by one of the uh top reporters from Bleacher Report. So I don't know specifically how he's doing his ranking. The thing that's tough too, right, is if you take Tannehill with the Titans. The Titans might end up being really good and Tannehill will play his part in that, but he plays less of a significant part in than, say, Matt Ryan in a pass-heavy, explosive offense that they might have. But then he also has fewer weapons around him from a wide-receiving standpoint. He does have Julio Jones now. Yeah, but he's still, yeah, an old Julio Jones. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, And he's got two good wide receivers, but it's a little bit different. And so then are you ranking? I have no doubt that at the end of the season, Matt Ryan will have more passing yards than Ryan Tannehill will have. But the question is, is Ryan Tannehill helping his team to be better more than Matt Ryan is helping his team to be better? And I would argue, yes. And that if I was the average NFL team, I'd probably want Tannehill over Matt Ryan. Yeah. So for me, the two ones that I kind of was thinking about was there's been a lot in all these lists that different people are putting out. Everyone has Kyler Murray pretty high, and every one of them has him over Justin Herbert. Now, I'm a fan of both QBs, but for me, I think the transition from the rookie season to the sophomore for Justin Herbert is going to pick him up way more than Kyler Murray's, what, second to third year. Like, Kyler Murray was decent last year, but there was still a lot of times that he wasn't that great. I, I I don't know if he's a top 10 quarterback to me. No, you know what he benefits from, though, is having been on a better team and having some really exciting games and moments. So that is more exciting than Herbert just having been pretty good and reliable and looking good, but on a mediocre to bad team that was poorly coached and he doesn't have that many sort of moments when you... I can't think back on last season and think of a single standout Herbert moment, even though I was impressed with him almost every week. Yeah, that's true. Like the only moment I can really think about is the semi-choke job against the Chiefs, which was more just... (laughs) No, but you know what I mean? Which was more down to being too conservative, and that's not really his fault. Yeah. And then my other question was, where do you think the cutoff is I don't want to say elite but top level QB versus like like where's the drop off I guess is the better question is it Josh Allen to Lamar Jackson or does Lamar Jackson deserve to be with Josh Allen Russell Wilson Rodgers Brady and Mahomes I think Lamar deserves to be in that list so okay so let's back up then do you think Allen and Jackson deserve to be on the echelon with Wilson, Rogers, Brady, and Mahomes? Or is that the drop-off? I mean, 
you could say no because easily the the easy divide there right is they've on part of that list has all won a Super Bowl and the other part has yeah. not. So there is one is kind of definitely proven talent and the other is proven, but you're still basing it on potential. Like if Josh Allen never gets better and it just keeps being the same level of Josh Allen, then no, he wouldn't be on that list. And same with Lamar. If he doesn't get playoff, doesn't have playoff performances where he delivers what he seems to do in the regular season, then the same thing. He doesn't deserve to be in the, in that, on that same echelon, but, but yeah, I, which is always tough, right? Cause they're not that much younger than, or even if I don't know, in Lamar is he even younger than Mahomes. Like it's, it's weird to kind of speak about Mahomes as being in the older experience group when from an age yeah. perspective, he's kind of in the same group as all the others, but I think that top seven is the divide. After that, there's big question marks after everyone who comes next. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, you didn't even bring up, like, Baker or, like, even Burroughs, I guess, if you're using Dak Prescott as, like, one kind of sample size. And then there was, like, Derek Carr as well. That's a good point, Sam. Baker should be higher. Baker should be higher. Baker Mayfield is 15th. Who's above him? Um, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. (laughs) Matthew Stafford and Justin Herbert. Okay, Derek Carr. That sounds about right. I, Baker Mayfield should be above Derek Carr. I mean, put it this way. If they call him up tomorrow and said we're straight swapped, straight trade, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, who says no? I think it's the Browns. Like Personally, I would put Baker Mayfield above Kyler Murray still. But with Kyler Murray having every possibility of leapfrogging him this year. But again, it's it's such a tough list because so much of it comes down to what do you have around you. Like I think the Browns are going to be really good this year. The Browns could win the Super Bowl this year, in which case Baker Mayfield is going to suddenly be top top six, top seven, because he will have been the quarterback on a Super Bowl winning team in an offense where he might pass for an incredible number of yards and have some incredible highlights of throws that he makes to, you know, OBJ. But that doesn't necessarily make him a better quarterback. He might just be in a better scenario than a lot of those other players. But yeah, I think you're right. He should be higher. So Eddie, speaking of that, I also saw another post of ridiculous bets of the NFL. And going against you saying the Browns winning the Super Bowl, someone in, uh, I don't know what FD Sportsbook is, put $1,000 on the Cleveland Browns to have the worst record in the NFL this season. I mean, that's just insane. That would pay over 225000 I mean, that's just insane. Just give, just give me the money. If you want to waste money, just give it to me. <laughs> give it to charity. That's just sad. I don't even well, how know. How about someone, someone on BetMGM who put 100 on the Chiefs to have the fewest wins in the NFL? I mean, just what I are you actually, doing? like... Surely a bookie should be saying like this is I'm I'm going to take your free money <laughs> because you're but, an but idiot. But what are you doing? I mean, I'll offer anyone out there who wants it. I'll offer a million to one odds on the Chiefs having the worst record in the NFL. Like, How much? I'll What's your a liability? What's your liability? What pound? Well, uh, minimum stake is a hundred. A hundred pound at a billion to one. <laughs> yeah. It's all right, I'm good for it. Because what if, I guess, the only thing I could think of is the COVID unpredictability, right? You know, okay, forfeits, no, no, ravaging let's, a team. Let's go through the scenario. How do the Chiefs become the worst team in football? So COVID. Mahomes has to get injured week one. That's the starter. He has to, he's out for the season. 
he has to. Andy Reid has a heart attack. But even if... <laughs> that's that's pretty likely. <laughs> like, that probably happens mid-game. It's probably game. already <laughs> happened. Um, Mahomes has to be out. I'm kind of serious. I think at least Andy Reid has to be gone because he's such a good coach that you think he can get a few wins out of people. Tyreek Hill has to have a season-ending injury. Yeah. They have to have, put it this way, they need to have like six season-ending injuries in week one. The coach needs to have to have something happen to him where he can't be involved for the remainder of the season. I mean, bar them having, and obviously don't, like a plane crash attending a game there, it just seems impossible eddie 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 that's <laughs> no it, it's it's okay if eddie says it frank if you said it i'd be panicked <laughs> or it would be worse if i put the hundred dollar bet on and now i'm saying well you never know it could be a plane yeah. crash I'm you gotta make one. these things happen yeah, exactly you gotta the, manifest your destiny frank the biggest one that uh was posted on this was it, it's not the worst bet but it's obviously someone who has a lot of money put 38,000 on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go 17 and 0 this season. It would pay uh, 1.3 million. It's a terrible bet. It's not and it, that's not as bad as the more Chiefs. Likely, it's more likely know why to happen. Team. That's more likely to happen than the Chiefs being. Yes. Not by much yes. though. No, Do you know why much. that's also a dumb bet is because it's another one of those where I bet you if you just bet game by game, you'd end up making more. It's where they almost, you know, like you can do it when you work out, like at the beginning of the playoffs. For almost all of the teams in the playoffs, you are better off just betting round by round, apart from, say, like the, the heavy favorite. But with the 17 and 0, I mean, I don't know the Bucks' schedule off the top of my head, but they must, they're going to play a couple of games where they're underdogs. And you'd be better off just doing that and getting to a point where you maybe say, I'll take my 38,000 back out now. Like hope that they win the first seven and then you maybe take that initial stake back out and then you keep going thinking house money. Let's, I'm not going to kill myself for the $38,000 I don't have in the, the end winnings. So the other list I had is the NFL drops their top 100 players list. They do this every season. So this was announced, I think, a few days ago it's now a two-hour television special on the nfl network um it's voted on by the players so that's the key point here i'll give you the top 10 and it does differ a lot than the previous list even within the quarterback rankings number one patrick mahomes number two aaron donald number three aaron Rodgers. number four derrick henry number five travis kelsey Number six, Devontae Adams. Number seven, Tom Brady. Number eight, DeAndre Hopkins. Number nine, TJ Watt. And number 10, Josh Allen. So there's what, two defensive players? TJ Watt and Aaron Donald. Are those the only two defensive yes. players? And yep. no offensive linemen. <laughs> no offensive linemen. The first <laughs> offensive lineman, I believe, was, I want to say it was Quentin Nelson, but that was it down a while. Yeah, number yeah, thirty-three. I mean, it's always skewed, right? I don't know. That's giving the Packers two of the ten, two of the ten best players in the league, and I don't think the Packers are going to be and, all that good. And the Chiefs, number one and five. <laughs> but then that makes sense. They're maybe the best. They're definitely yeah. offensively the best team in the league, I think. Um, but 
I don't know. It's just the a first cornerback was Jalen Ramsey at thirteen, which is probably too high. Yeah, Again, and I thought those... DeAndre is DeAndre Hopkins too high at eight probably. over Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill. DK the interesting Metcalf. way for them to do this is if they got the GMs, if they did a fantasy draft with Ooh, GMs and they actually made them, everyone's a free agent, draft out the league, and then we will see the priority in which people get picked. Because then it might be a weird thing where someone goes, there's not a lot of left tackles, better take a left tackle in the first round because this guy's way better. The number one left tackle is way better than the second left tackle, whereas... I can sit and wait. Like a normal fantasy draft, you go like, you know what? I can sit and wait on quarterbacks. If I end up with Russell Wilson instead of Patrick Mahomes, I'm still okay with my team. Yeah, I wonder if they could do that anonymously because could you see the scenario where like David Gettleman has Daniel Jones on the board and he takes <laughs> another quarterback and just completely disses Daniel Jones. Takes yeah. like Fitzmagic. Yeah. <laughs> Or even worse, if like the Chiefs have the first pick and they go, we're taking Aaron Rodgers. That would be yeah. like at least an other. Or, or the Packers have the first and they take Jordan Love over Rodgers. <laughs> Did you see the U.S. women's, this is very specific, the U.S. women's basketball team under 16 team <laughs> beat no, no. Costa Rica 121 to 12? <laughs> No, amazingly enough, I didn't yeah, see that. that must have slipped through my video content. <laughs> With all of the sports I try and follow, that's not one of them. How do you feel about that scenario? It... I'm fine. I'm not American. I don't get upset with teams. I mean, I once went, when I was playing football, we went to Germany and played a, a team that played in Bundesliga 2. We were an under-18s team. And they were 24 nil up at halftime. Which I remember getting to halftime and in wow. sitting there and going, they're scoring every two, like it's more impressive. often than two minutes, which considering we then kick off, we, we have to be able to hold on. Like it takes us time to walk the ball back to the center circle and then we kick off and we should surely be able to hold on to the ball for at least 30 seconds before they've taken the ball back from us. And they were scoring, I will say, some spectacular goals. There were moments when they were just flying in from outside. I mean, they were having a great day and things were going for them. We were dejected once it got to about 10, you know, like heads completely dropped. But, and in in fairness, it ended up finishing only about 29. So things eased up a bit in the second Did you park the bus? Yeah, we did. <laughs> no, they parked a bus because yeah. they knew Eddie's team. Yeah, they needed knew to be they needed the goals. They needed the goals. <laughs> Maybe they parked the bus from the first minute, and we just didn't. We played right into their hands with our overly attacking strategy. Do you mean when you say do we care about it? Do you mean like is it in the same way that we had the uh, women's team play against the kind of under? I can't remember the the, the men's football team, and they got absolutely spanked. Like I don't care about it like uh, why would they... I, I i guess i mean do, do you take issue with the team that is obviously much better just going in and embarrassing no. another team like that i mean you know obviously they're probably up 50 or 60 at half and to come out and just continue to pour it on was it was it just a friendly game or was it competitive 
I think it was competitive. Well, you can't. I mean, that's like in the Women's World Cup when the USA beat Thailand or 12 nil or whatever it was. Like, if it's competitive, you kind of got, got to let it happen. If it's a friendly, Americans don't be a bit uh, reserved. Americans don't get this, though. There's like a big, you know, there's yeah, easing up on the scoring. I think it's way more disrespectful to play oh, against the- someone and feel like they've gone into first gear against you because they can just cruise through and still beat you. To me, that would annoy me way more than a team that just keeps playing. Now, I wouldn't want them to showboat. Like, if they're suddenly throwing half-court alley-oops to each other and stuff, then no, I'm <laughs> I'm annoyed. And, and like, just, like, tossing the ball over their shoulder and nailing threes. But as long as they're playing the same way in which they were beating me from minute one, I'm fine with it. Yeah, the mercy rule was dumb. So I assume, obviously, you're really upset at Man City because they never really got out of first gear against Arsenal. So that must have upset you as a performance. <laughs> well, it, trend, it flipped anyway, right? The Arsenal supporters were supporting City after the fourth goal. So that I also have an issue with. I mean, Arsenal supporters deserve everything they're going to get. Honestly, I, I hope that the club absolutely collapses and just ends up in the 15th tier of English football because with the way they treated Wenger and just... Arsenal fans were basically relevant for about nine seasons and got the biggest heads in the world for how good they thought they were and how good they thought they should always be. And now, I I mean, I would love it if they were relegated and just sank into total footballing obscurity. All right, Kevin Keegan. <laughs> no, but genuinely, I when you speak to them and they kind of they talk, you know, Arsenal were a big club for such a brief moment in time. And... Aside from the fact that they're located in London, which is the thing that sort of keeps them relevant, even when they're not that good. And I'm not saying this specific to, to you, Sam, but you know the people who were so aggressive in wanting Wenger to leave just because they weren't as good. And look, he mismanaged elements of the club towards the end of his stay there. But I remember talking to one friend of mine who is an Arsenal supporter, and he was cheering when Arsenal him and Wenger finally left. And I said... You don't know how good you had it, and you have no idea what's going to come next because it's not that easy to replace iconic managers. I mean, United have gone through it too, right? The difference is United have the spending power to be able to fail at a much higher level than Arsenal do, even though Arsenal are still the biggest spenders in this transfer window, which is also kind of funny in the Premier League. That's but, not uh, yeah, It's deadline day. As, um, we're also looking like we're signing, um, uh, what you call him, from Bologna. So it's going to keep going up. Um, I, I don't actually just like there's a reason Arsenal TV is so ridiculed and laughed at because they are entitled jokers on there. Like, I, I just think it's a ridiculous show. Um, I think there's a lot. That's, more... a good, that's a good spinoff of Impractical Jokers. <laughs> <laughs> I, but yeah, I think there's more things that are rotten at the club than just the the setup of like the players and the team. It's like Kronke and Edu, I think is a pretty bad technical director as well. So um, yeah, there's more things that are rotten than just the playing style and the managers, but yeah. Um... All right, Hamlet. But we'll... Eddie, why did you give him this in? <laughs> yeah. Why did you give him this in? Now we, we started with the golf. I had one question actually from finishing with the golf, perhaps. I mean, another topic could come out. But this, at the BMW Championship, every single player finished under par and then on another kind of competition level. I find it really bad from a course management course setup to be in a situation where 
every single player. I find competitions to be much more compelling when the winner is finishing four rounds on five under, six under, and then it everything's more compressed and pars are good. You know, the thing that was weird actually was you then got to the playoff and neither like they suddenly couldn't get birdies, whereas they'd been getting birdies all week. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau had back-to-back eagles in his third round. It just seems, I know that it's tough from a golf course standpoint in terms of the technology and how far they can hit it, in particular with Bryson, but you got to have a better setup than every single professional is turning up and just scoring under par. I mean, it, it, it's also the fact that it's played at Wentworth every year, right? The BMW. So they've, they know it's happening and they've got the ability to change the course or tweak the course for that specific reason. It's why Augusta does so well and it's why it's so challenging. But yeah, I um I much prefer it when you see like the open and it's like windy conditions and you see someone win with like one over because it's a real slog. There's a real competitive element to it. And like you say, it isn't just about getting the ridiculously lower a score possible. It's actually just about surviving holes. And um, I much prefer that aspect of golf. And I think it brings out way more kind of quality parts of golfers. Whereas this was an absolute kill to it, like 27 under or whatever. Plus the other thing that... The other thing that's boring is when you were then watching players come down the stretch and they go, oh, he parred the par five. He's out of contention now. Whereas when it's lower, when it's lower scoring, higher scoring, but lower scores on paper, <laughs> it allows you to make mistakes and still stay in. You know what I mean? So, oh, he got a double bogey. But if he has a birdie on the next hole, then he can sort of work his way back in. Whereas this was literally like, well, if you don't get a birdie on this hole you may as well just go home because everyone else in the top 10 is about to get a birdie, if not an eagle. So it's over. So anything else uh, from the world of sports no. or the chicken sandwich wars? We haven't talked about that in a while. Do you have any updates? I haven't had a chicken sandwich in a while. So. so I guess for me, just closing, you have um, international break. I didn't see many interesting matchups, though. Everything kind of seems a little... European World Cup qualifiers are rarely that thrilling. Yeah, the qualifiers are tough. Yeah, It's, you know, I think England's second match is Andorra, right? Andorra or San Marino. It's the problem with qualifying. There's only one or two groups that actually have some level of competition in because obviously they split up all the the relevant nations. I mean, England's opening match is away to Hungary. That's quite a challenging match. I mean, we saw... You know, Hungary were all right in the Euros, and they were missing their star player at the time. So, USA f- has El Salvador, I believe. They'll probably lose that. It's, tough. it's a tough match for the USA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, well, oh, the interesting because you- one of the controversies has been right. The Premier League didn't allow players to travel to red zone countries. I think the USA has been added to the reds, or USA is just added. Something's happened with the USA changing the status of red zone countries i'm assuming players like pulisic and the rest are attending this u.s match but obviously all the south american clubs missed out on on all their premier league players but frank didn't you you're asking us but didn't you want to bring up something relating to college football oh yeah start of um college football last weekend was the start um, you had a few games, but this week is the real start where every team is kind of playing. And what's nice is I think 
the NCAA has realized that they have this issue in the beginning of seasons where teams just play no offense, but crappy warm-up games that don't matter. And the first three or four weeks are just a wash. And they've been slowly trying to put better games up front, which is also good for the rankings. Cause then you can see right away, you know, what teams are good versus the others, you know, cause these rankings are super arbitrary because it's the, the people are shuffling in and out every season or two. So this week, there are a few good matchups. You have Wisconsin number 12 ranked versus Penn state number 19 ranked. Um, that's should be a really good matchup. You have the number one ranked Alabama team playing number 14 ranked Miami. So that's another really good matchup that will kind of give you an idea of how good Alabama will be this year. Indiana at 17 versus Iowa at 18, Texas at 21 versus Louisiana at 23. And probably the matchup of the week, number three, Clemson versus number five, Georgia in the Dukes Mayo classic. So that is, I mean, what's crazy is that could literally decide which one of those teams makes it into the playoff. Um, because if one of those loses early, it could be huge, especially if Clemson loses and they have such a weak schedule going forward, that could be devastating towards them. Which I guess is the reverse, right? The positive is kicking off the season with these blockbuster games. The downside is if you lose your opening game and you basically say goodbye yeah. to your playoff hopes in week one, then That's the crazy. interest in, in your season dwindles. Yeah. Unless you have a crazy season, right? Which sometimes yeah. does happen where teams get but you, losses. But you need your schedule. You know, like the thing you touch on, like Clemson, if you lose your hardest game of the season, you can you can win out. And even if another team loses, there's no way for you to sort of play yourself back into contention. Yeah. I actually prefer it the other way around. I actually think the games matter more when there's build-up to them. Because you, you look at some of the games that have happened already, like Liverpool, Chelsea... There's been some big games in the Premier League that have happened early, and I just don't think they matter. I'm, I'm not as bothered. I, I, I one... agree with you on that sense, but I disagree from a viewing standpoint. Yeah. Like, it sucks to the first four weeks of NCAA to just watch shit games. you know. But, but at the same time, I do agree that you want the games to mean more at the end. So it's nicer when they're there, but it just sucks that half of the NFL season or NCAA season is just kind of a wash until you get to the good conference games. Yeah, I mean, the disparity between teams in college football is so great. It's not like saying in the Premier League, well, oh, City are playing Norwich. It's City are playing a conference North AFC team. Richmond. Torquay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Torquay. And it's going, well, why are we even bothering they're going to be able to rest players they are going to be able to you know it doesn't really matter it's going to be a question of how much they win by not if they win um yeah it's tough but the one when I, I will agree with you on the sam the spurs beating city has felt meaningless even though it might have huge if spurs turn out to be good might have massive implications and it has you know city are sort of under a bit more pressure with united and liverpool getting off to decent starts and chelsea but well, I guess we didn't discuss that topic. Just one final topic, the Chelsea-Liverpool match. The only thing from the Premier League worth mentioning probably is the, the penalty decision and the, and the sending off. I was of the opinion that it's clearly a penalty. I think because he, because he does move his arm, and also it's the motion of his arm after it hits his leg where he does kind of sweep it away a bit more. I don't think it should have been a sending off. That seems wrong to me as a as a rule. When they tried to crack I down, I thought on you it. have to though, right? Well, they got rid of. I the, thought the rule is they got if, rid of if the it's double. a handball. But 
I think the idea was to get rid of that double punishment. I, I remember the, the, the most memorable time for me of it happening was the Champions League final, Arsenal-Barcelona, when uh, Jens Lehmann got sent off and it was a penalty given that made Barcelona go 1-0 up um, because it so, changed the game. So there's two. They got rid of the double punishment for tackles, were fouls, but only under the if you were attempting to win the ball. So if it's just a cynical, horrific Roy Keane, challenge, Harland style, in the box, you can if you're denying a clear goal scoring opportunity and you are not attempting to play the ball, you can still be sent off. Similarly, with a handball, if you're denying a clear goal scoring opportunity, which obviously on the line you are, um, I just think to me the gray area between whether or not how intentional it was and how much of it was just moving his knee and your arm has to follow along with it. I personally think a booking and a penalty giving awarding the penalty was the right decision sending it off, whether or not it's the correct decision by the letter of the law. It just seems like the law should be changed then because it's not quite, doesn't feel right. It doesn't, doesn't feel right that you could, that a defender could at the same time, bring someone down as they're rounding the goalkeeper and only get a yellow card. And then two minutes later, while there's a handball on the line, you in both instances, you've just, you've stopped a clear goal, but in one, you're going to get a red card and the other, unless they do the system where it's a, if he misses his penalty, it's a red. I'm fine with that. I'm That's... fine with the idea, the idea of let's see what happens here. And if they miss the penalty, then we give you a red card because you've successfully denied a goal scoring opportunity. That would be interesting. I'm trying to think what the other example was of, it was in like the world cup with like Uruguay v Cameroon or something. It was, it was Suarez. It was Suarez, of course. It against was. Ghana. Ghana. That was in it. the last minute or whatever, when he, he had the handball and then what made it worse, right? Is they then showed him celebrating in the tunnel as he was walking off after, after Ghana had missed the penalty. And then Uruguay went to win the penalty shoot, went on to win the penalty shootout. So the sending off there was meaningless all he achieved was the fact of stopping. I think you either do the other thing or you just say, oh, handball on the line. We're just awarding the goal. You have it like a penalty try in rugby. And you've said, look, you've done something illegal to stop a ball that was going into the net. It's just one nil. Like, why are we allowing you to, you know, if it's the last minute, if it is that Suarez situation or it's the last minute of the World Cup final, why are we allowing you the possibility that, you kind of have nothing to lose. Uh-oh, you're sent off. You're not going to take part in the penalty shootout. If you're now in the case of Suarez, not a great thing for Uruguay, but if you're, you know, somebody goes, I was going to take the ninth penalty. What do I care? I'll take one for the team here. Let's hope my keeper can pull off something amazing or this guy bottles it. Now you see this in the NFL where sometimes you have rules that are need to be amended, I guess. And there's big plays that push that change. Is this a big enough of a play or a situation that you'll see some amendment from this to kind of what you're saying? It, it sounds like it's all died down. It doesn't sound like the, I, I mean, A, a it's ridiculously rare that this happens, but B, I haven't heard anyone talk about it since. If there was a lot of talk, a lot of movement, a lot of managers coming out with opinions, maybe, but rule changes. It also helped. Happen. It also helped, right, that the match finished one all. So it kind of it kind of died a bit as a talking point because it's not as if Liverpool then went on to win and you feel like, well, 
Chelsea probably wouldn't have lost without this. Now, you could argue Chelsea probably would have won even at one all because they were the better team. But it, it becomes less significant thinking, well, it was a draw at Anfield, not the end of the world. Not sure how I feel about Klopp without glasses as well. <laughs> like it looks weird. It, looks it weird. Baffles me. It baffles me. He needs to put him back on, and he's a he's a good looking guy, right? It's not a not, but he looks weird without his glasses, and it's just such an iconic part of his look. It's the same with the hat. You know, his look is the hat, the baseball cap, and the the glasses. And when he takes either one off, it just looks a bit strange. All right. Well, I guess with Eddie admitting his. Crush on club, we can end it. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.